All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 377, and I'm John Mulnix. Well, it's been longer than I was hoping since I recorded the last episode, but I've been taking weekends lately to catch up on some reading, sleep, and, most importantly, personal time. Also, before we get to some news and some sci-fi content, I'm going to be launching a store where you can buy prints and other sweet merch online. Podcast hosting and expenses can get a bit pricey, so I'd love if you would consider supporting the show. More details to come in the next episode. There's a lot to talk about, so let's dive right into some news and updates for the rest of the year. We're starting out with a little bit of breaking news. At the time of recording this podcast, Elon Musk literally almost just announced that SpaceX is no longer planning on upgrading the second stage of the Falcon 9 rocket. Here's the exact quote in a tweet from Elon Musk. Quote, BTW, SpaceX is no longer planning to upgrade Falcon 9 second stage for reusability, accelerating BFR instead. New design is very exciting, delightfully counterintuitive. I've almost lost count, but I believe this will be the fourth iteration of the BFR, so it's going to be interesting to see how this affects the plans that SpaceX has for this massive rocket. It's staggering how quickly SpaceX iterates on designs and plans. So far, it's worked incredibly well. In other SpaceX news, the company hit a milestone with the launch of the S-Hail 2 mission this last week. There have been 12 launches with flight-proven boosters this year, which is a staggering change over years prior. SpaceX has also launched 18 missions overall, with a few still to go here in 2018. There was a SpaceX launch scheduled for Monday, but that slipped with a new date pending announcement. Links to SpaceX tweets, Elon Musk's tweet, and some incredible drone footage of the latest launch will be in the show notes. I was not awake for this launch, but at 4.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, a Northrop Grumman Antares rocket and Cygnus cargo spacecraft lifted off from Wallops Island. The Antares rockets launched the Cygnus cargo spacecraft to the International Space Station on resupply missions. Northrop, formerly Orbital ATK, names the Cygnus spacecraft after notable figures in the industry. This flight's namesake was John Young, the famed Gemini, Apollo, and shuttle astronaut that passed away at the beginning of 2018. Cygnus is unable to bring cargo back to Earth, so at the end of the mission, the spacecraft is loaded with trash and burns up in the atmosphere. It's been a busy time for launches, with a Russian Progress resupply module launching as well, and it will be docking with the International Space Station on the 18th. This will be followed by SS John Young docking on Monday. It's going to be a busy time at the ISS for the astronauts unpacking supplies and science experiments. Also, so much for all of the people that were worrying that the ISS would have to be abandoned due to the Soyuz being grounded. It's the Russians. If we can count on them for anything, it's that they're going to launch the Soyuz come hell or high water. 
Let's move on to some other news in the industry. Caleb Henry with SpaceNews.com has a piece on the Federal Communications Commission approving the internet constellations for SpaceX, Telsat, Leosat, and Kepler. The approval for these four new constellations paves the way for thousands of new satellites to be launched in the coming decades, which could revolutionize internet access around the world. SpaceX, in particular, could be launching nearly 12,000 satellites in the coming years, an absolutely staggering number. The drawback of launching this many new satellites is the increased possibility of a space debris incident. Building in deorbiting capability into satellites is becoming an increasingly important factor when building new satellites, and it's a policy which the Federal Communications Commission is exploring. It's weird that the FCC is doing this, and funny enough, the FCC is actually asking whether it's the right agency to even be making these rules for the industry. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. On October 10th, the NASA Office of Inspector General released an audit on NASA's management of the Space Launch System Stages contract. The takeaway from this report is that SLS is behind schedule. This should come as absolutely no surprise to anyone that's been watching the program for the past decade. The Exploration Upper Stage, or EUS, is also behind schedule. The Exploration Upper Stage is what makes a lot of the more ambitious missions possible for SLS, so the fact that it won't be launching until at least 2024 is disappointing. So, where does SLS stand? The SLS Block 1, which is the least powerful variant of the rocket, won't be ready to launch until 2020, a date which, I may add, is optimistic, considering we're on the tail end of 2018 already. For some historical background, SLS was supposed to be operational by December 31st, 2016, then December 2017. Now we're nearing December 2018, and the first launch is no earlier than 2020. Also, only three of these less powerful SLS variants are slated to fly. The SLS-1B, with the more powerful exploration upper stage, won't be flying until at least 2024. NASA estimates that approximately five of these vehicles will be needed. In the more distant future, at least a decade away at this point, the SLS Block 2 is slated to begin flights. Frankly, this variant is so far out, it's not even worth detailing more. So much could change over the next decade, heck, even in the next five years, that this rocket may look different than it does now, if it even flies at all. So that's a broad look at the SLS program. Let's scale back a bit and chat about one of the early missions that this rocket could be part of. The Deep Space Gateway, or Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway, LOPG, mercifully, this has been renamed to just the Gateway, is a small orbital outpost that will circle Earth's moon. The Gateway is one of the destinations that SLS could send astronauts to, and it may provide a unique platform to test technologies that could take humans beyond the moon. However, the budgetary realities that NASA faces would make it difficult for the agency to fund Gateway, SLS, robotic missions, and human missions to Mars at the current budgetary levels. Mars evangelist and aerospace engineer Robert Zubrin has called the Gateway, quote, the next giant leap into quicksand, a sentiment which hopefully doesn't end up being too prophetic. Zubrin is right in pointing out how this program could become a problem for the ledger sheets at NASA. 
a program of this size is bound to run over budget, which would suck more money from other NASA programs and goals. Proponents of the Gateway point out that this is a mission that SLS and Orion could perform to help prepare astronauts for more extended missions. I get that, and I do agree with it a little bit. But launching astronauts on missions that mimic Apollo 8 isn't exactly going to inspire the next generation of students. Eric Berger with Ars Technica sums it up perfectly in a post from this September. Quote, with NASA having spent the better part of $20 billion and counting to develop SLS and Orion, the agency still needs something to do with these vehicles. Berger continues, quote, the gateway solved NASA's political and technical problems. Political and technical problems. I think it's safe to say that creating a program that solves political and technical issues is going to leave the American taxpayer with a program that's ultimately going to have a ballooning budget with lackluster results. I really hope I'm wrong on this one. In a little bit of happier news, as most of you already know, I'm headed out to Hutchinson for the Earth Rising event on December 1st. This is a celebration of the Apollo 8 mission, and I know I'm going to have a blast meeting all of the astronauts and flight controllers that will be attending this event. I'm linking to the Cosmosphere's website in the show notes. There's still a few tickets available, so if this is something you're interested in, jump on the opportunity now. I'm also going to be tagging along with some space hipsters during their trip to Spaceworks, which should be a lot of fun. We might even be recording a podcast episode or two with them. I'll have audio and pictures from the event that I'll be sharing, so make sure you follow along on Facebook and Instagram. Last up for today, I've got some sci-fi news. CBS All Access is releasing a series of short treks, as they're being called, leading up to the season 2 premiere of Star Trek Discovery. The episode Calypso is an absolute treat to watch. Calypso's story follows the USS Discovery's AI and a soldier that's rescued from an escape pod that's been adrift in space. This episode doesn't even run 20 minutes long, but in that time, a universe is created that is absolutely breathtaking. I really, really would recommend you check out this episode. Even if you don't have CBS All Access, sign up for the free trial and give it a watch. One of the things that I enjoyed about this episode is how Discovery's AI improved herself, or itself, whatever it calls itself, over the past millennia. I hope this is something that's explored more in upcoming seasons of Star Trek. A ship's AI having a unique personality could open up some interesting plot lines for Season 2. Links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. If you're new to the podcast, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a review. Reviews help more people find out about the show, and I appreciate it. Until next time, I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.